Yep, it helps if you turn it on. <laughs> so, okay. But again, okay, going back to this. So he promised it beforehand through the prophets. He promised this. He promised many things including that verse you heard there. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In fact, if you go throughout the Old Testament, you can find lots of prophecies regarding the birth and the coming of Jesus. In fact, the first one you could find, you could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. After the man and woman had fallen into sin, God gave them the promise that the offspring of the woman would bruise the serpent's head and he would bruise the offspring's heel. Go a little bit farther, you get to Abraham. And Abraham has promised an offspring through whom the descendants would be as numerous as the stars above. And by the way, the word offspring is singular. To let you know that it is talking about one specific person. Later, David would be told that he would have a descendant who would sit on the throne and his kingdom would last forever. This was re would be reiterated through Solomon. And then you get to something like Isaiah. The book of Isaiah has a very prominent role during this time of the year. Every single Sunday during this month, you have heard something from the book of Isaiah. And I think every single time, I think to some degree, it's been preached on this month. It also made an appearance on one, during one of our uh, midweek services. It will make an appearance on Christmas Eve. It will make an appearance on Christmas Day. And if the first Sunday in Christmas did not land on January 1st, you would have heard yet another one, but there's actually another, January 1st is another celebration. And also, if any of you happen to pay, make use of the congregation at prayer, our weekly devotionals that we produce every single week, there's always two scripture readings for every day to be read. One of the scripture readings is usually focusing on the, the epistles, and this week we're going to be going into some of this, the, read, the narratives of the birth of Jesus, but the secondary reading, which is coming from our hymnal lectionary, is all through Isaiah. So Isaiah plays a prominent role. If you want to find probably the great, most significant, most detailed prophecy regarding Jesus, you go to Isaiah 52 and 53. And you'll hear that one on Good Friday, because it in detail prophesies, prophesies the crucifixion. Here in Isaiah 7, you get a prophecy of the birth. So Lord spoke to Ahaz 
Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as shale or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. First off, Ahaz is not a good king. A few months ago, I actually did an interview, I was actually on KFUO and I got to talk about Ahaz. And his, what, his, what he did, you can read about him in 2 Kings. He's the guy that burned his own son alive, hoping to get a little, appease the false gods. Ahaz was a very awful man. And here, God is telling him to ask for a sign, but he will not, in a false sense of humility. In which case, he is not listening to what God is asking him to do. But eventually you get to verse 14. and says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. First off, now this little passage. It's a passage that's got a little bit of challenge. If you were to go grab the new NRSV, which is the new revised standard version of the Bible, if you were to go to that same passage, it would say, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the young woman will, shall conceive and bear a sign. First off, I do not recommend using the NRSV as a Bible just because it's a highly liberal Bible translation. And the people who translate it do not believe that Jesus can be found in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, so it influences their translating. But in this case, they are not in co completely inaccurate. The word that is that is right there can the Hebrew actually can be translated as young woman. It is not an inaccurate translation. So did Matthew just make it up when he decides to say, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son? Because the Greek word that he's using there, Parthenos, yes, you're getting some Greek here, Parthenos without, is without a doubt means virgin. There's no doubt what the word should be. So is Matthew just making it up as he's stretching what Isaiah wrote? This gets reaffirmed in the Gospel of Luke. When Mary is told that she would be that she was pregnant, she said, How can this be? For I am a virgin. But the thing is, is when Matthew writes what he's writing, he is not quoting the old the Hebrew Old Testament. He is quoting the Greek translation of the Old Testament which was translated about two centuries before Jesus was born. Which means there were Jews at one point who understood that word to mean virgin. So which is it? Young woman or virgin? And the answer is both. See, they live in a very different culture than we do. A young woman in their time would be, unless something really horrible happened, 
considered to, expected to be a virgin. And no reason do we expect God to work through a really horrible thing. A young woman is a virgin. That's the way it was. And so this, by using this word in Isaiah, Isaiah is telling you that the prophecy, that the sign is that a young woman, who naturally speaking, is a, you would expect, is a virgin, will conceive. That is an unusual sign. Not just that a young woman conceives, but a young woman who is, yes, a virgin, will conceive and bear a son. And in Mary, that is fulfilled. Mary, a young woman. As I mentioned before, she was 13 to 15 years old. She was told to be pregnant, that she was pregnant with Jesus. Romans. He promised beforehand, God promised beforehand through his prophets in his holy scriptures. God keeps his promises. That's at the center of it. That's why we're reading this. The season of Advent, the season of anticipation, it centers in on that verse. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Verse 22, going a little bit backwards, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. God keeps his promises. And so also for you, you come into church this morning, and you're carrying whatever sin, whatever guilt you have. Think of God's commandments, 1 through 10. Think of all of them. And remembering that sin is not just in what you say, but it is in what you do, it's in what you think. Yes, your thoughts. I've used this in the illustration before. If somebody could listen to every single thought on your mind at any given time, would you want that? Our sinfulness is deep. And sin is not just in what you say, think, and do. It's also in what you fail to say, think, or do, and you should have. So we come to this place bearing guilt, bearing sin, sin that you can't even, can't even count. And you stand and you say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities. And then his servant, the pastor, stands up there. And by the way, there's a reason why pastors wear this fancy garment beyond the symbolism of all of it. It's to make the pastor part of the furniture. It's a way to strip the pastor of his own identity. It's a reminder to the pastor that he is replaceable. The authority comes not from him, but from God. That's why we don't just, I don't just stand up here wearing my own stuff. We wear this vestments to remind you we, it is, we are not the center. Christ is. And so we stand here, and when you have confessed your sins, you hear the words. In the stead, and by the command of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you go all the way back to John chapter 20. 
And Jesus said in that upper room, whatever sins are forgiven, sins you forgive, are forgiven. In the Gospel of Matthew, he said, whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. So you can take it to the bank when the pastor says that your sins are forgiven. Jesus keeping his promises. Just as he spoke of this prophecy through Isaiah, so he speaks of forgiveness to you through his servants. When you are brought to the font, the pastor said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. He keeps his promises that that water, combined with the word, combined with the promise of God, he keeps his word. He keeps his promises. The Lord's Supper. He said, as you hear those words, take, eat, this is the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Take, drink, this is the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Jesus said, this, is, this, the bread, is his body. He said, this, the wine, is his blood. And he said, in it you receive forgiveness. And again, you can trust what he says. He keeps his promises. Every time you partake of that sacred meal, your sins are forgiven. And every time you are strengthened and renewed. God keeps his promises. As we approach Advent, as we approach Christmas, I mean, you see these, this Advent wreath. All the, mark, all the candles are lit except for one. Standing is next Sunday or Saturday evening, the white one will be lit. See, it's a reminder that long ago, the people of Israel longed for Christ. They longed for a Savior. They had prophecy after prophecy. He's coming. He's coming. And there's many speculation estimates as to how long it was. But it was definitely not a short time. The last book of the Old Testament was written. And they waited several hundred years before they would see Jesus appear at the Jordan River to be baptized. The problem, even though it seemed long, it seemed like, boy, it will never happen, maybe, some might think. God kept his promise once. He kept his promise when he promised, over and over, he promised to Christ, he promised a Savior, he promised the one who would defeat sin and the devil. The one whose throne would be forever. And he fulfills it in Jesus. And so we see that as a reminder. That one day, as we walk through this world, wondering when, oh when, will it happen? And remember, he ascended into heaven in 33 A.D. The last book of the New Testament was written around 100 A.D. So almost 2,000 years, he hasn't returned yet. But we look to when he fulfilled it once, 
and each we know that our God keeps his word. He keeps his promises, which is pretty refreshing in a day where lots of leaders give promises and that are never fulfilled. Christ, our God, keeps his promises. And his promise to you, whom he has washed by his blood, his promise to you is that he will indeed return and lead you to the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. Till that day comes, to him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen.